What's going on, guys? Welcome back into the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. I am your host, Mike Taglier. Bobby is out today. There was a scheduling issue, uh, but he will be back, I'm sure, tomorrow. But, uh, of course, they're not going to leave me alone with you guys. That's just not what we do on this show. Uh, instead, we brought in number fires, Jim Sanis. Jim, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to talk with me during this uh, this busy, busy time. Yeah, I know. I'm sure you're probably jammed up two tags, so I appreciate you with some flexibility. I actually changed the schedule on my end, too, so I think we're all a little, uh, little jumbled up with week one <laughs> just around the corner, so I appreciate your flexibility. How you doing? I'm doing good. I actually just got wrapped up with my Fantasy Pros draft, like we do the one with our company and stuff like that, and uh, hopefully I did well. Um, it's 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 draft season. It's like I can't keep track of how many drafts I have going on, so right. this is the one time of year where I legitimately use my calendar. Uh, yeah, know, and this is the one time of year where I've actually timed out in a draft. I timed out in a best ball draft this morning. And I was in it with my boss, uh, whose Twitter handle is at late round QB. And the person <laughs> I timed out to pick was Patrick Mahomes. So oh. I'm probably going to get fired tags. Uh, <laughs> so I, I've had a blast talking to you and Bobby over the past couple of years. Uh, it's been fun, but I'm sure I will see you in unemployment at some point. Yes. So, so what round did you draft him in? Third. It was uh, in the third in draft, which like is not like egregious, I right. guess. But like, I would not have done that personally. Yeah. Um, Aaron Jones had been taken, so I wasn't like kicking myself. I would have <laughs> probably like rage quit and withdrawn all my money if I had if Aaron Jones had been available. I didn't get him, uh, but it was not optimal. That's how I. Yeah, was. no, basically that's. I mean. That's around the area where I'd say, I guess it's not the worst pick. My wife, actually, in our right. home league, she drafted Mahomes in the third round. I told her I was disappointed in her. Um, it, it wasn't <laughs> grounds for divorce or anything, but I told her I was disappointed. Right. But she said, we'll see who's disappointed at the, at the end of the year. So uh, it, it right. is what it is. Guys, before we get into the show today, by the way, it's going to be on breakout candidates and bounce back candidates. We're going to dive into Jim's list because obviously you guys have heard my takes on a lot of these players. So I'm really curious to get into Jim's, maybe give him some feedback in regards to how I feel and if, if there's a response. It's always good to go back and forth with some of the sharpest analysts in the industry. So Jim is one of those guys. If you guys haven't yet, though, I wanted to remind everyone, go to the Fantasy Pro shop. So we have like t-shirts available, like whether you want to get like something fun for your draft, if you want to get something for the league loser, if you want to support the podcast, if you go to shop.fantasypros.com, you're able to get t-shirts for legitimately like $13. And I promise you, they are top quality. Like I I was worried myself. I actually had to order some before I like recommended them to you guys. Uh, but go there and check it out. I promise you will not be disappointed. So let's get into some of the news that is kind of coming out today. There's a few things that I wanted to talk to you about, Jim. One being Miami Herald is saying that Kenyon Drake and Kenny Stills are being baited out there as potential trade candidates. Do you think there's any legitimacy to this? Like, why would the Dolphins be trading away Kenyon Drake? Do they not feel like, do they feel like the Kalen Balaj is the answer at running back or are they just not like Kenyon Drake that much? I think they don't care. Uh, like, if you look at what they've done this offseason, I think that everything that the Dolphins have done has been either in preparation or evaluation mode for 2020. And Kenyon Drake you know, he's a good player, and I would guess that he's probably going to have a decent second contract. And the Miami Dolphins, based on the way they've been operating, are not likely to be the team that gives him that second contract. So I guess I get it from that perspective. You know, Ken Kenyon Drake is a good player, and I think that we all enjoy watching him play. But is he someone who is going to be an integral part of the Dolphins team that they are ne the next time they are competitive? Probably not. Uh, so I get that. Kenny Stills, not a young guy either. I love Kenny Stills as a player, and I think that he could contribute on a different team right now. So 
I've got a lot of best ball shares of Kenny Stills, and I would not mind, honestly, if he got traded. I think it stinks uh, when wide receivers change teams mid-year because they don't tend to succeed. We saw it with Sammy Watkins. Uh, we've seen it with him in the past. But I think overall, I am I, I, I think that there is a lot of legitimacy to what they're saying here, and it would not shock me all that much if either Stills or Drake or both were to get traded prior to week one. Yeah, this is basically what we're hearing out of Dolphins camp. We're hearing that Laramie Tunsil is on the trade block, which makes zero sense at all. Uh, but knowing that Kenyon Drake is kind of makes sense. I think there's more to this story with Kenyon Drake and the Dolphins because, you know, the talent gap on the field has been clear, but no coach has been willing to kind of just like let Kenyon Drake run with the job, you know, unless there's injuries to Damian Williams and they trade away Jay Ajayi and they were kind of forced into that. But I think there's something going on behind the scenes that's non-football related. I can't really say what, but uh, obviously there's something going on there. So moving on to the next bit of news. Uh, Melvin Gordon, ESPN's Eric Williams. This is, I'm going to put this in parentheses here. I'm going to say he expects Melvin Gordon, his holdout to end in time for week one. And I, I've kind of done some research on this, kind of like looking at what he's responded to people. He's saying it's a hunch because Melvin Gordon is missing out on like $300,000 per game. That's peanuts compared to what Melvin Gordon is seeking. Do you believe there's any truth to this, Jim? I do because I trust the reporter. Um, Eric Williams is someone who has had really good information for a while now. I remember back when it was after Melvin's rookie year. He was someone who was saying that even though Melvin had this atrocious rookie year, the Chargers were still going to give him a big role. Maybe that wouldn't have happened if, if Danny Woodhead hadn't gotten hurt. But, you know, in general, he's been a, a pretty sharp guy. And reporters of that nature aren't going to just throw stuff out there on Twitter for no reason. Like he's saying it's a hunch, but... I'm guessing it's probably an informed insider. Hunch. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe he's got insider information that he can't necessarily share, right. but he's saying that he thinks he's going to report. Right. And like my background is in journalism. Like that's what I, I went to school for. So like I kind of know what is required of a journalist before you can say stuff. And there's a different bar for Twitter than there is for other things, obviously. But I think that the fact that this is a reporter I trust and have followed for quite a long time and the fact that he is saying this gives it extra validity I don't know about the argument of, you know, the money he is missing out on being the reason that he would report for the same reasons that you mentioned. Uh, but I think I think that if he's saying that there is legitimacy to it and, ge and in general, I am very someone who is very trusting of beat reporters if they're talking about things like this. Like if they're saying uh, David or uh, David Johnson will get 30 carries per game, I don't you know, necessarily buy into numbers, but I mm -hmm. buy into sentiments. And I think that that sentiment is probably legitimate for Melvin Gordon. So I don't know if it'll be by week one, because I don't see any reason that the Chargers should cave here, but I could see Melvin caving. And I think that because Williams is saying this and because it's him, I am largely inclined to believe that there is at least something to that. We may see Melvin, maybe not week one, but not in the too terribly distant future. Yeah. where would So here's my question to you. This is the most important question, I think, of all of it is where would you draft if you're drafting tonight? Where would you draft Melvin Gordon? Like, would you draft him in front of players like a, like a, like a Joe Mixon? Would you draft him in front of guys like even going as high as maybe a Dalvin Cook? I think not Dalvin Cook. Uh, I love Dalvin Cook, and I love his uh, the changes the team has made. I love the talent there. So not Dalvin Cook. Uh, I think that the area in which you have the leeway to draft Melvin Gordon is where the serious bell cows are off the board. So after Joe Mixon is off the board, I, for me personally, I think it's after Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, those guys are off the board because they do have Aaron Jones in that tier. But once you get down to the guys that, who have some question marks, whether it be their workload, their team, et cetera, that's where I feel okay drafting Melvin Gordon. So let's say 
you know, we're in the range where your top availables are Melvin Gordon, Devontae Freeman, Leonard Fournette, uh, guys of that mold. I think that that's where you have the leeway to go with Melvin. I do like Leonard Fournette and Damian Williams and guys like Mm -hmm. that this year. So I personally may wind up taking them first. But I think that's the area in which you can start to consider Melvin. So, so, so you're safe saying that he's like a top three round pick type of guy. I would say somewhere in the third round, if Fournette, Williams, and Freeman are off the board, I would take him. The problem is a lot of times Fournette is still available, so I just wound up taking Fournette instead. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. And that's kind of the range that I'd probably put him in right now with this news coming out, though. I'm probably going to lean those other guys because I want a guy that's like locked in on the field. You know, the third round right. is like where you could start taking a little bit more risk, and that's why I love Aaron Jones in that range. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we want guys that are going to be on the field, and there's no guarantee right now that he's going to be. Right. Uh, another player that there's no guarantee that he ever sees the field this year uh, is Jarek McKinnon. Uh, speaking on Wednesday, John John Lynch talked about Jarek McKinnon saying he suffered another setback in his return to practice. They're calling it a flare-up, but they're saying it does not look good. It's not encouraging. I I think it's very possible that they just kind of have to move on from Jarek McKinnon and just you know cut their losses and move yeah. forward with Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, is he someone that I don't even want to say in redraft leagues because nobody's drafting him in redraft right now, but if you're in a dynasty format, are you okay with moving on from Jarek McKinnon? I probably wouldn't move on from him. I think that most, at least the dynasty leagues that I'm in, are deep enough where I can afford to have someone who could have legitimate future value on my bench. And like McKinnon has a roster bonus due next year, he's probably not going to get that roster bonus. So he's probably going to test free agency at some point. And at that point, he will be two years removed from his knee injury. And if you've got an IR slot, and you know, most of mine do, uh, where you can stash him for that year, I think that there is value in holding on to him. So in a redraft league, or sorry, in a dynasty league, I would guess I would have someone else I'd be willing to more uh, be more willing to cut bait with or I can stash him on IR. Maybe if you have like this stack team where all the guys on your bench are people who could legitimately contribute on a week to week basis. First of all, congrats on your championship. But also, I think then maybe you could. But I don't see that as being an overly realistic or applicable situation. So for me personally, assuming it's like most of the dynasty leagues where I am, where you have super deep benches, I don't think I'd move on. But I think it's a fair question to ask, at least. Yeah, for sure. And that's basically where I'm at with it is that I, I if you really if there's someone on the waiver wire that you want to pick up right now, I'm OK dropping him. I don't know if he gets another contract. I don't even know if he plays in the NFL again, to be honest with you. We've seen guys like, you know, TJ Yeldon, who's younger and has shown the ability to do more uh, with less, uh, you know, really suffer in free agency and have to accept a contract, you know, playing as a backup with the Bills. So Jarek McKinnon, unfortunately, I I'm okay moving on if you really want to do that. Uh, Guys, we're going to move into the breakout portion of the show, talk about some breakouts with Jim Sanis. Uh, But before we do that, I want to give you a word from our sponsors. Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business, has partnered with Hooters to bring you the largest guaranteed rake-free contest lineup in the history of daily fantasy sports, including the $1 million Hooters kickoff. That's right. Fantasy Draft is hosting the first rake-free contest with a guaranteed prize pool of $1 million. Listen, as other fantasy sites continue to raise rake, prize pools are being squeezed, making it harder for fantasy players like you to win. Whether you call it a rake, commission, or management fee, the days of paying 10, 12, or even 15% or more of your entry fees to fantasy companies are over. No longer will you lose 30% of your bankroll to the house. Only on Fantasy Draft are 100% of entry fees paid out to contest winners, 100% of the time. To access all of Fantasy Draft's exclusive rake-free contests, including the Hooters' million-dollar kickoff, 
All you need to do is become a member. Sign up at fantasydraft.com today with promo code FANTASYPROS, and you'll get a free seven-day trial membership. That's fantasydraft.com, promo code FANTASYPROS, all one word. Don't miss your shot at this incredible million-dollar rake-free contest, and it's $100,000 top prize. All right, Jim. So let's, I'm going to ask you for basically three breakout players. And then we're going to talk about three bounce back players. Let's start the breakout list. These are guys that you're expecting that maybe they could be league winners, right? Just depending on where they're being drafted. But obviously you're not, you may not be expecting a breakout, but more so like based on where they're being drafted, there's a potential for these guys to break out. Who's number one on your list? A guy that you're, you're aiming to get in every league because you think that there's so much potential there. Yeah, I think it's honestly an either or like I'm not getting this guy in every league, but if I'm not getting him, I'm getting his teammate. And that's Marquez Valdez Scantling, mm-hmm. you know, slash Geronimo Allison. But to me, I do p- prefer MVS. Uh, so I'm going to list him here as being my guy because I think if you're talking about breakouts uh, slash guys who have the upside to truly win a league for you, you need them to be on teams that are going to score touchdowns. And Aaron Rodgers led offenses tend to do that. And I think that that's why I'm so intrigued by Marquez Valdez Scantling. And it's not just the fact that he is on Aaron Rodgers' team, because that could apply to Jay Kumaro. You know, it could apply to a lot of guys. But, you know, based on what they've done in the preseason, it seems like Marquez Valdez-Scantling will be on the field in their two receiver sets. And Geronimo Allison may not. I think they're going to play a lot of three receiver sets. Allison's snap rate should still be very good, but Valdez-Scantling will be out there, I would assume, every play alongside Devontae Adams, which is a really good role for a wide receiver. And he's got talent too. He flashed that at times last year. He's six foot four. He ran a four three seven forty coming out of college, which is just a nutso number. Fifth round pick. So, uh, you know, he is a big play guy who made big plays in college as well. He has a lot of speed. We saw it at times last year. So if I'm comparing him to Geronimo Allison, I would say that the upside for Del- for Valdez Scantling is higher because I would expect him to be on the field more often. So I think the upside is better for Valdez Scantling, but his being on the field also makes his floor higher too. So in the ninth round, I think Valdez Scantling makes a ton of sense. If I miss out on Valdez Scantling and Geronimo Allison is still there, I will happily settle for Geronimo Allison. I don't care. I'm going to take both. Uh, but I think that Valdez Scantling is my preferred piece here. So prioritizing him, but really just trying to get both here or either or. I actually, I am, I am in the same exact uh, like place as you with this. I, I, in that draft that I talked about, I just got done with. Geronimo Allison went off the board, and I was like, well, I'm going to take MVS because I've, I've admittedly said that one of them could kind of blow up here. One of them can be a top 24 fantasy wide receiver this year, and the other one might, might very well live up to their ADP because they're both going in that wide receiver, you know, 40 to 45 range. And you know, the, the upside that you're getting by drafting those guys, I'm, I'm okay with either one. You make a good point about MVS being on the field for more snaps. Do you put in? stock into the fact that, you know, Aaron Rodgers has targeted slot receivers quite a bit and that he's, you know, shown chemistry with Geronimo Allison every time that he's, you know, being interviewed. Geronimo Allison's a guy that always stood out to him. Yeah, I think that that matters a lot, uh, but he's also mentioned MVS recently, and I think that that matters too. So and I think that that's good to bring that up because Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger are the two guys where I listen a lot to what they say because they tend to be very upfront. I think the one time in which that has not worked is when Ben Roethlisberger said positive things about Martavis Bryant, like right before they cut him or something, uh, or before he got another suspension or something. Like that's the one time where listening to those two guys has led us astray. But Rodgers has said positive things about MVS recently. So I think that it does matter and it does help that Jerron Milestone has been there. But I think that Randall Cobb, you know, the guy who was the benefactor of a lot of those slot targets that 
Aaron Rodgers had, had a better rapport with, Al- or with Rodgers than Allison does right now. So I tend to view those numbers with a bit of skepticism. And I think that it matters more about the individual player rather than the history that Rodgers have with, has with an individual position. And that's what pushes me more towards MVS. But again, I'm not going to talk you out of Allison. I like him too. I'm just saying that's why I prefer MVS. So I, like I said, we we both are in sync on this one. Here's here's the best part about drafting either one of them, though. Let's pretend that for for a moment that something did happen to Devonte Adams and he was forced to miss some time. These guys are not only giving you wide receiver three, wide receiver four value without an injury, but what's the upside to someone like MVS if something were to happen to Adams? Uh, stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's basically what we're looking for, right? Right, exactly. And I think that the upside for him is big even without that. So. That's kind of what you want to look like. And I think that that was the argument for Tyler Boyd before A.J. Green got hurt was, okay, he's going to have a good role regardless, but his role could be immense if A.J. Green gets hurt. And what do you know? A.J. Green gets hurt. So I think it's 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 worthwhile always to have that line of thought where, okay, here is my meeting expectation. Here is the what-if scenario in the positive sense. Here is the what-if scenario in the negative sense. And the what-if scenario in the negative sense for Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling is he doesn't carve out a role. Maybe he winds up playing behind Allison in two receiver sets and doesn't get that big snap rate. Mm-hmm. Then he's a ninth-round pick and you move on. That's not a huge loss. So right. I think that the the what-if statements for Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling, given his cost, are very much worth it on both ends. With you, with you. All right, let's talk about the number two player on list on your list. Like, I'm I'm really excited to hear about it now because, like, I, I agreed with you too much there. I think we were just like too much in line with our thoughts, and it's always good to have obviously differing point of views. But who's your number two guy? So this guy's been talked up as a breakout candidate the entire year, but his cost has not risen as much as it should, and that's Lamar Jackson. So it's like it's very chalky and very annoying to say Lamar Jackson is a breakout, but he's still the quarterback eleven in drafting. And so, like, I'm okay. I feel okay talking him up just because, like, he shouldn't be that cheap. Because last year, I think what we saw with Lamar Jackson was kind of his floor, uh, what he can do for you on a week by week basis. And as a starter last year, he scored at least 16 fantasy points in every game he started. He scored 19 or more fantasy points in four of seven games. He topped 20 points twice, had 27 in one of those. And that was with no passing volume. I would expect his rushing volume to go down probably a decent amount this year, but that will be countered by increased passing volume. So maybe the floor does come down a bit for Lamar Jackson, and that does matter, but it'll kind of be countered a bit by an increase in his ceiling if he does start to pass more often. And they've you know, invested quite a bit in the pass catching core here for Baltimore. And it's not just Miles Boykin and Hollywood Brown. Michael Floyd's looked good in the preseason. There's the possibility he can make this team. We know the depth they have at tight end as well, in addition to the guys who were already there and trying to kind of provide that safety valve for Lamar Jackson. So I know that everyone is saying Lamar Jackson is breaking out, but or could break out, but for some reason, people still are not drafting him under that possibility. Uh, So at quarterback 11, I think it's still too low. I am happy to snag him in the ninth round. I think that if you are waiting at quarterback, maybe you want to wait a little bit longer. But personally, for me, I think the ninth round is a very fair price, and I will happily pay it for Lamar Jackson, given the upside he possesses if things do wind up clicking. Here's the question I have for you. And this is one that I think a lot of people struggle with because, you know, like whether they're they're worried about going late round quarterback, you know, and if they finally do take the plunge, here's what happens. Like, I am okay with it. And I'm curious to hear your take on it. And obviously you work for uh, JJ Zacharyson, <laughs> who's a late round quarterback. But 
are you okay with, let's say that someone's really panicked about waiting at quarterback and they just want to increase their odds. What would you say about drafting someone like Lamar Jackson and pairing them, you know, with a Kyler Murray, Mitch Trubisky, someone later, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, one of those names later in the draft, would you pair him with? And let's say if Lamar Jackson doesn't work out like you'd hoped, you at least have someone else that you can kind of platoon them back and forth with. I think I understand the thinking there. And I think that it's not like, it's not going to end the world if you decide to carry two quarterbacks. And I understand why people would be nervous doing that. But for me personally, you know, I tend to play in leagues where finding quarterbacks in the wire is not all that difficult. And I think that you look at the quarterbacks available for this year and you can kind of see, wow, like the depth of quarterback is honestly unreal. Uh, And that makes me feel better about entering the year with just one quarterback. And if, you know, something does happen to go awry and maybe, you know, it couldn't, it could just be a situation where maybe Lamar Jackson does not perform well. And you're like, okay, I need to get out of this. I need to find an alternative. I think even then, you know, looking at the quarterbacks who are available, you're probably going to have a pretty decent option available somewhere on the wire. And that's why I personally would be inclined to just go with the one quarterback and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, But my investment in that position would be so low that it wouldn't really matter all that much. Uh, You look at Sam Darnold right now, he is quarterback 22. Jimmy Garoppolo is quarterback 21. These guys in a lot of leagues are probably not going to be drafted. And Mm -hmm. You can find them on your wire, and I'd be totally okay with Sam Darnold and Jimmy Garoppolo as my quarterback. So I don't think it's the end of the world if you want to take two quarterbacks. And again, I understand the mindset and why people would get skittish. It's not something I would do myself personally, though. No, that's fair. And I think it's important to know the league you're drafting in. I think you mentioned that in the aspect of like, you have leagues that you understand there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks in the waiver wire. And if you're in a league, let me be clear about this. If you're in a 12 team league and most teams in the league do not draft a backup quarterback where there's maybe like 15 to 18 quarterbacks drafted, I'm with Jim on this one where you're able to pick them up off the waiver wire. But if you're in a league where you know people are going to be grabbing their, their a backup quarterback, like it's a home league. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of leagues do do this where it's like they're drafting two quarterbacks. It also depends on bench size where if yeah. you're in a league that has eight bench spots I'm more inclined to take another quarterback just because you know that people are going to reach the names at the bottom of the list and be like I don't really like them I might as well take a quarterback here so the other thing too I guess is that I I want to use all those bench spots this time of year like I want every bench spot at my disposal because I want to take flyers on guys I guess this isn't applicable anymore but like Darwin Thompson you know I wanted mm-hmm. guys of that mold who I could pluck and see what happens because we're going to get some surprise roles in week one. And there are going to be guys who have bigger snap counts than you expect in week one. And you'd rather have them on your bench with no backup quarterback than on the waiver wire and dumping your backup quarterback in order to add them later on. So I think that I just want as many chances at guys who can't have roles as I can get. And that re- that pushes me to not have a second quarterback on my on my roster. Yep. All right. And before we get into Jim's number three breakout candidate, guys, make sure you go and visit one of our favorite sponsors, pristineauction.com. They have daily auctions ending every single night with hundreds of lots. They even have 10 minute auctions. Guys, they have tons of stuff for every man cave. 
there is something perfect for a fan of any team. It's affordable too. Most don't think that they can afford this stuff, but trust me, it is much more affordable than you think. I was just shopping around. And I, as you guys know, I collect a lot of helmets and I've been looking for one with Aaron Rodgers. There's an Aaron Rodgers one right now and sitting at like $250. I am debating like going up higher than that because I really do want to collect Aaron Rodgers. I want to get some of those top quarterbacks. But before football season begins, guys, this stuff is only going to go up. So make sure you go check it out right now. Guys, it is quick and free to register, free to bid and only pay when you win. Like that's the point of it, right? Like it's an auction. You only pay when you win. I encourage you guys to go enter fantasy pros all one word in the registration code located at the top of the registration page when you register on the site it is free to sign up and it provides you with a free five dollars credit to the site again that's pristineauction.com p-r-i-s-t-i-n-e auction.com all right jim let's wrap up the breakout candidates who is your number three breakout candidate yeah this one is a guy who may not have a role early on and usually when i'm taking breakout candidates. I like that guy to have a role early on so that there is a floor where no matter what happens, I'm going to get something out of him. I don't know if that'll be the case with Malcolm Brown, but I think that the archetype that he presents is pretty attractive because if you pay attention to everything we've heard this offseason, it sounds like Todd Gurley is going to have a smaller role than he's had in the past. And it, it may not be, you know, the total doomsday scenario, but it should be less than he had in the past. Daryl Henderson should have a role as well. But Brown, it seems to me, is a guy who is potentially primed for a big role if Gurley is not able to handle a full role. And the way that I have come to that conclusion is by looking at the things that the Rams have done. You can read what coaches say, and there's a lot of value in that. But what coaches do is more valuable. And it wasn't the coaches, but the front office matched the offer sheet for Malcolm Brown this offseason. They held Malcolm Brown out the entire preseason. They do that to their starters and Daryl Henderson has gotten a ton of run this preseason. I don't think that means that they dislike Daryl Henderson because he was crazy good in Memphis, and they've said a lot of good things about him, and he's a rookie. You want to get him on the field, but protecting Malcolm Brown to the extent that they had is eye-opening to me at least. And that, to me, says this is a player who could have standalone value. I don't know if he will because I have literally no idea what this Rams backfield is going to look like in Week 1. They've done a great job of trying to hide that. but. The role, if something happens to Todd Gurley here, could be pretty massive. Brown was playing 10-ish percent of the snaps last year, so he was already on the field at least at times, even when Todd Gurley was playing 90-ish percent of the snaps. So Brown, I would assume, will still play snaps, even with Daryl Henderson being there. And if something does happen to Gurley, Malcolm Brown's upside is kind of dumb. So I think that Brown is someone who doesn't necessarily entirely fit the archetype I tend to target. But he does have the ability to post a huge year if a couple of things break his way. So Malcolm Brown, based on the things the Rams have done this offseason and this preseason, I think is someone that they value. And if they value him, I want to do the same personally. So here's the question. How, who are you drafting Malcolm Brown ahead of? Like, would you draft him ahead of guys like Tony Pollard right now? I, I mean, Darwin Thompson has moved into a different conversation. He's a different stratosphere at this point. I mean, I'm seeing him go in the eighth round right now, and that's without an injury to Damian Williams. So people are willing to reach for him. But Tony Pollard is someone that you see lasting until, you know, that 10 to 12 round range. Where, where, where are you falling in those guys? Would you put Malcolm Brown ahead of Pollard? No. Uh, Pollard is kind of like you said, he's a different beast because with the way they've talked about him, it sounds like he could have a role, even if Ezekiel Elliott does play in week one. And additionally, like based on the preseason usage of Tony Pollard, where he's been on the snap or been on the field for every snap with Dak Prescott, 
it says that if Zeke is not there for one reason or another, the dude's going to be a bell cow. So that makes Tony Pollard a different beast. And right now on Fantasy Football Calculator, he's going in uh, the ninth round, whereas Malcolm Brown's going in the 13th. So I don't need to take him ahead of Tony Pollard in order to, order to get him. I can hold off and I can still get him. I'd love to get Tony Pollard too, personally, uh, because I think that there's a lot of good things there. Uh, but as a later round guy, Malcolm Brown has really good upside that's not, I don't think, being accounted for in this draft, especially when you compare where his ADP is compared to Daryl Henderson. That's absolutely fair. That's, and that's why I wanted to ask you about it, because I think a lot of people, we, we talk about late round sleepers all the time, but we don't really talk about who we take them in front of or which ones right. we, we'd prioritize. One name I want to mention to you, and I want to I hear, like, obviously you're someone in the industry, I respect your opinion and like everything you bring. Uh, Mike Davis, I've been saying that I like him as a late round pick, similar to like a Malcolm Brown, where it's like, I believe he has multiple, like he's a handcuff to multiple running backs. Like not only is he a backup to David Montgomery in that Jordan Howard role, but I believe he's a backup to Tariq Cohen, where it's like, they don't want to give David Montgomery both those roles. So where are you at on Mike Davis? Is he someone that you're willing to take a late round pick on as well? I mean, you, you would have a better read on the Bears than I would. So if you're saying that, that has value to me personally. Uh, so I think that that's definitely interesting. And it does get my attention for sure uh, with Mike Davis. I think the one slight difference here is I am, I apologize, not quite as high on the Bears offense uh, as I am the Rams offense. And I think that that's a lot of the thinking for Malcolm Brown is that He's in a a pretty high-powered offense, and I love Matt Nagy, and I respect him a lot, but I think the Rams offense in general better than the Bears offense, and I want to get that high-octane offense. And additionally, we already kind of have not an injury to, to Todd Gurley, but an imperfection and a ding. So I think that the pathway to a larger role is bigger for him than Mike Davis. But the thought process using to get to Mike Davis is totally logical, and he's free right now. So mm. why not get both, Tags? Let's just get both. <laughs> That's where I think we were, where I was going with that. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned him. Good. Um, I like all it. right, so let's let's transition over to the guys that are bounced back. These are these are players that may not have lived up to expectations last year, but may outperform what you expect them to this year. Because as we know. Everybody wants to draft based on last year's stats. There's a reason that people are taking Patrick Mahomes in the second round. You know what I mean? There's people. There's a reason people are taking Le'Veon Bell in, in number five overall sometimes because they see this past performance and they think it it dictates future results. Let's talk about a pl- few players that that you believe are going to bounce back from down years. Who's your number one candidate here? Yeah, number one for me is actually a quarterback and. This is someone I could drop after week one, depending on the way his offense plays things. But that's Kirk Cousins. If they go with this Seahawks-esque approach, which they have talked about at times this offseason, where they decide to run the football on first down every, every play, then I would just dump him. And I, But I think that there is a scenario in which that does not happen, and they decide to be a regular, you know, competent offense and operate normally and try to take advantage of the fact they have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. If they do that... Kirk Cousins has a really good ceiling this year from a fantasy perspective because he has so many things that we look for in a quarterback. He plays indoors, and I personally value that a lot because it means that he's not dealing with wind, and wind is a pretty big factor for quarterbacks. So getting nine games per year out of Kirk Cousins in a dome because he plays in Detroit as well, that's helpful for me. I like that a lot. He has playmakers on the outside, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. I dig that. He has Dalvin Cook. He has a very much improved offensive line, at least based on the way things look. Brian O'Neill, their right tackle, played well last year. He has an injury in camp. It's been an arm injury. It's been very weird that he hasn't been practicing. Uh, So I would keep an eye on that. But 
I think that the offensive line we should assume will be much improved from where it was last year. So I think that Cousins has what I look for in trying to identify a quarterback who could blow up this year. It's kind of similar to Matt Ryan before his MVP season, where he had had a down year the year before. People were totally avoiding him, and you could get him as, you know, a a quarterback two in a super flex league. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at with Kirk Cousins right now. He has never been on, on the Matt Ryan level, and it's worth noting that for sure, but he has a similar upside. Now, again, if they come out there and they throw the ball 20, 23 times in week <laughs> one, just dump him. Like, it's it's fine. You can get rid of him. He's a 12th round pick. Who cares? And you can go pick up, you know, Sam Darnold or Jimmy Garoppolo and move on there. So I think that I would draft Cousins if I can't get someone like Lamar Jackson, see what happens in week one, and I can reevaluate from there. But the upside for him, if they don't be, if they aren't stupid, is pretty high. Yeah, so I've been actually like we're at the we're at the point of the offseason now where it's now I'm transitioning into week one and I've kind of looked at that matchup between Atlanta and Minnesota. And my concern with Cousins, the reason that I, I'm I, I don't know if he has the breakout potential is because you want a team, a guy that potentially has the potential to throw the ball 600 times, right? It's right. like you're looking for that because Kirk Cousins doesn't offer anything on the ground. I know he ran in like six touchdowns a couple times in Washington, but that was more circumstantial. He's not like a mobile quarterback, so you need those passing numbers to be there. And that defense is just so good. Uh, we did see at the end, uh, basically it was like tied with the decline of Adam Thielen, where over the first eight weeks of the season, Kirk Cousins was the QB6. Over the final eight weeks of the season, he was QB8. The, the pass attempts went way down, bringing in Kubiak. Obviously, they're talking about running the ball more. I do believe that adding Garrett Bradbury on the offensive line interior, it helps the run game. I just don't know if they want him to pass enough. I do like Cousins as like, he's a very, very, very strong QB2 play uh, in like two quarterback leagues, and I'm more than willing to stream him in, in one quarterback leagues in good matchups where he should give you a solid floor. He just might not have the ceiling that I think, and there was definitely parts of last year where he had ups, but it was like definitely more downs. And I think people are sour on him. So I do like the call. Would you say that someone like Jameis Winston would, I am all aboard Jameis Winston. I think that, you know, we, we, you talk about the elite options that Kirk Cousins has to throw to. We obviously have the same thing with Jameis Winston. We might even have better options that he's throwing to. Um, They don't have a running back. That's going to steal a lot of that production. Uh, So Jameis Winston, where are you at on him? Because he would definitely be someone who fits in the bounce back category for me. Yeah, I think that the reason that I would be less inclined to go to Jameis there is because when he played last year, he was already good. Like as a DFS play, I used a lot of Jameis last year um, and he was awesome when he got the volume and when he was a full time quarterback. And I think that's why we see Jameis going as a quarterback 12 this year, is because people recognize that. I think the reason that I am not going completely out of my way to target Jameis this year is I think that people are expecting a step forward when in actuality, he already had a really smart offensive mind last year in Todd Monkin. He was already throwing the ball downfield aggressively. He and Ryan Fitzpatrick were among the top two guys in deep throws last year. Uh, and the eight out for Jameis Winston was really good. He had Mike Evans. He had uh, Chris Godwin there and Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson is still a good football player and still helps out his quarterback. So I guess when I look at Jameis Winston, I don't see a whole lot of difference between last year and this year. I mean, the coaching staff changed he had a good coach, at least from an offensive coordinator's perspective last year too. So I think that Jameis is more static than people are expecting him to be. I still think that he's very worth it as the quarterback 12. Uh, but with Cousins at quarterback 18 and having the same or similar upside to Jameis Winston, I think that that's why I am. I, I think that I view Kirk Cousins more in the bounce back mold. 
No, it's fair. I just, it's all about the defense for me and the fact yeah. that there is no way that Jameis Winston doesn't hit 600 pass attempts with that defense and the, the, the way it is right now. It's just it's a disaster in Tampa, whereas obviously Minnesota, they have a, a solid defense intact and there's no injuries that we're like really worried about with them. So that's basically where I'm at with that. Um, let's get on to your bounce back player number two. Yeah. So we talked about situation uh, with with Jameis and with Kirk Cousins and with a couple other guys. And I'm not sure if there was a player who had a worse situation last year than Jamison Crowder in Washington because he had Alex Smith with that broken leg. He had Colt McCoy or the Alex Smith with his leg issues, Colt McCoy with his leg issues, Mark Sanchez and whatever that was. Just this terrible quarterback play. And he was also hurt himself pretty much the entire year. So Crowder didn't do anything. But now he moves to the Jets in what I think could be a non-boring offense. I've talked about this on Twitter before, but... I think that my expectations for the pace of the Jets are different than others because if you've got Ryan Tannehill and Brock Oswald as your quarterback, you're going to run a slow pace. But Sam Darnold has looked a lot better than those guys have in the preseason, so I could see Adam Gase running more of an up-tempo offense, and he has done that so far in the preseason. And if they decide to run a non-snail-like pace, a lot of Jets players could wind up being really good draft day values, and Jamison Crowder, I think, would be one of the big benefactors of that. He is currently an 11th round pick. Mm-hmm. He and Darnold have seemed to have a really good rapport both in camp based on the reports and in the preseason games. And we know that Crowder is a talented individual who can, you know, make stuff happen after the catch. So Crowder is someone who has had a breakout before, but I think from a bounce back perspective, you look at him and you see mm-hmm. how different his situation is this year from what it was last year with Josh Johnson chucking in the football. I think that it's a a radically different situation, and I value that. So I think that Crowder is in line for a much better year this year with the Jets. Yeah, I have him in my top 55 wide receivers. I can't remember exactly where I have him, but I definitely am much higher than the consensus, and I I am with you 100% on this one. But the the thing is, is people tell me I'm a Jets hater. Every single article that I write that I mention that I don't like Le'Veon Bell as a first-round pick or that I don't like Robbie Anderson as someone that you can trust as a wide receiver three every single week. Um, Listen to me here. The reason, part of the reason I don't like Robbie Anderson is is because of Jamison Crowder. It's like you go back to Robbie Anderson last year and you look, I don't even want to say last year, over the course of his career, he's been a very boomer bust wide receiver. Like that's no secret. It's I'm not going to say Adam Gase is going to change that for the good because he hasn't done that with wide receivers. But you add Jamison Crowder to the mix, you add Le'Veon Bell to the mix and it's like, all of a sudden, do you think Jamison Crowder or, or Robbie Anderson is going to be more consistent because of this? No, like Jamison Crowder, like it's it's going back to the Miami days. Remember when Miami signed Albert Wilson and then like legitimately yeah. a couple days later in free agency, they signed Danny Amendola oh. and nobody knew what the hell they were doing. Like everybody right. was like, wait, we have two players that are going to play the same position here. It just goes to show how important that slot role is to Adam Gase. Yeah. And he's talked about Crowder, you know, racking up 75 plus receptions. And I think that's very possible, which also takes away from like Le'Veon Bell and Robbie Anderson. So I am with you on Jamison Crowder. I am not a Jets hater. I am an Adam Gase disliker. Um, (laughs) And I just, I mean, I'm looking for value when I draft. And basically the Jets offense, I cannot see as like a top 15 unit. And therefore, you know, drafting him, those guys where they're going, it just feels too much. Am I totally out of line here with someone like Robbie Anderson? Are you, I know there's a lot of people that like Robbie Anderson. I am unwilling to draft him as a wide receiver three. So I play a lot of best ball leagues and... I think that Robbie Anderson is kind of some everyone benefits from best ball league. So like saying, hey, he's perfect for best ball. Everyone's perfect for best ball. It's a stupid, yeah. it's a stupid line of thought. So I'm not going to say it that way. But like he benefits from it more than others, I think is the way to say that without being a complete dolt. Um, so I think that because of the formats in which I play, I tend to like him quite a bit. And again, 
I think that the Jets, I'm higher on the Jets than a lot of people are this year. It might be because I grew up a Jets fan because I, I was very stupid. Uh, but like, <laughs> uh, I think that maybe we're overreacting to what Adam Gase did in Miami, where the talent around him was just atrocious. And again, that's something I talked about on the Quant Edge pod uh, back in July. They were, you know, we were talking about Adam Gase there. And the line of thought is, if your team stinks, you want to go slow and increase variance because the smaller the sample size, the higher the variance. And you can, you can influence that sample size by operating a slow offense. That's kind of what Gase did. And I don't know if that's why he did it. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Maybe I'm overestimating Adam Gase's intelligence, but he ranked third in situation neutral pace with the Broncos back in 2013. When was the offensive corner there? He was also ninth the year after that. And Sam Darnold will not be Peyton Manning, but I also don't think he'll be Ryan Tannehill. So if the Jets wind up being middle of the pack in pace as opposed to 28th, which is right. what they were last year, or 31st like the Dolphins were last year, I think that all these guys have the potential to pay off. And so I am still in Robbie Anderson personally. So is it possible that Adam Gase is another Hugh Jackson? Like in terms of like, basically he's a better offensive coordinator than he is a head coach. Like, cause Hugh Jackson, people wanted him to get a head coaching opportunity because he was, he was a good offensive coordinator. We could talk about, we could talk about Kyle Shanahan in the same, you know, realm here where it's like Kyle Shanahan hasn't been a very good head coach. Is Adam Gase fit in that conversation is like, can we accept that maybe some guys are just better as coordinators? I think it's possible uh, because, you know, we haven't seen Adam Gase succeed as a head coach, but we have seen is he has at least with the Dolphins a couple of years, they outperform their talent. And when that happened, like they went to the playoffs with the atrocious quarterback play. I think that was the year Ryan Tannehill tore his ace, or one of the years Ryan Tannehill uh, hurt his knee. They went to the playoffs. And if you can do that with that talent, I'm not going to say you're a bad head coach. I'm not going to say he's a good head coach because I don't think we've seen evidence to support that. But I'm not going to say he's a bad head coach either because I haven't seen a large enough sample to make a definitive judgment. So I, right now, would not say that Adam, Gose is, Adam Gase is a good or a bad head coach. I would just say that I don't know, but I think that he does know how to operate an offense. And I think that that does matter a little bit, even though I'm not going to radically amp up everyone in the Jets' offense because of that or anything. For sure. Like, you don't feel the need to reach right. for them, but you're okay with where they're going in exactly. drafts right now. Yep. And that's fair. And I don't want to be depressed anymore, so I want to move on to your number <laughs> three bounce-back player. Like, who do you have bouncing back this year? So this bounce back is actually a backhanded way of saying I don't like someone else, uh, but, and that's Royce Freeman. And the I think that the bigger threat here is how his role relates to Philip Lindsay, and because it sounds like, at least based on what we've read in the reports and what we've seen from the preseason usage, that Royce Freeman's going to split early down work with Philip Lindsay. And Freeman didn't have the same you know rushing metrics as Philip Lindsay last year, but a lot of that was because he was running against stacked boxes more often than Philip Lindsay because they had a pretty unimaginative offense. And so you knew when Roy Freeman was out there, the odds they were going to run were higher. So he ran against a lot of stacked boxes and it didn't go very well. But it seems like based on a lot of camp reports, as if the, the, the Broncos are running a less archaic system so far this year, maybe a little bit uh, extra, a little bit extra creativity. And that could get Royce Freeman opportunities against less heavy boxes. What that means is that he could eat into Philip Lindsay's workload. And that I think that's going to be the case from the start. But if Royce Freeman performs well as a guy who was a high-end pick and who was really good in college, got some passing down work in college as well, if he performs well, 
we could see the, sc- the scales shift even more towards him. So I think that Royce Freeman is interesting from a fantasy perspective just because he should have a role in week one, but also has the potential to carve out a larger role as the season goes on. But he also really, really scares me as it pertains to Philip Lindsay, who is currently a fifth round pick. And I really can't get into that. Uh, Devontae Booker was still getting work as a passing down back in the preseason as well. And that's pretty scary. So I think a lot uh, the main thing here to me is the the potential for Roy Freeman's volume to I get it's hard to say bounce back because he was a rookie mm-hmm. last year right uh, but for it to expand this year scares me off of Philip Lindsay but it also does make me at least pretty mildly interested in Freeman as an eighth round pick as pick as well yeah I this one's tough for me because like when it comes to you know Vic Fangio coming in there as the head coach and hiring a first time offensive coordinator and Skin Garello I I don't really know if I believe in the offense like in, in terms of like it almost feels like the, the the Cardinals last year with Steve Wilkes you know what I mean like you have a defensive minded head coach back like going back there and it's like we want to pound the rock and we want to do this and and I, I just wish Fangio would have gotten someone with more experience as his offensive coordinator start to start, because I don't think we know enough about the offense to say in particular. And can we agree that Philip Lindsay is a better three down back than Royce Freeman? Yeah, but they don't treat him that way. And my opinion on it doesn't matter. It's what their True. opinion is. Yeah. Like, I would love if Philip Lindsay got crazy passing down work. And he did get some work in the passing game last year, but at least based on the way things have looked in the preseason, I'm not sure that his role is really going to expand all that much there. And that's what worries me. It's not what I think about Philip Lindsay, because I think that he's a delight to watch. Yeah, it's it's what they think. And I'm not sure what they think about him. That makes me pretty nervous in the fifth round. Jim, this was a whole lot of fun. I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Again, we know it's we're, we're now like, how many days are we from the NFL season now? Is it like nine days? Is that where it's at? eight days? Uh, there was a counter up on FanDuel uh, not that long ago. I looked at it. It was eight days and something. So we're very, very close. And I'm very, very excited. Yes. And very, very busy. But thanks again, guys. Make sure you follow Jim on Twitter. He is at Jim Sanis. That's J-I-M. S-A-N-N-E-S. You could follow myself at Mike Tagley Air NFL. That wraps up the show. And before I get out of here, I wanted to make sure you guys remembered to go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash fantasy pros. We are going to be doing a Beat Tags draft contest again. This is the third time we're doing it this offseason. We're going to be doing giveaways. Anybody that beats me in that mock draft is going to have a chance. They're going to get a free upgrade, basically, if you beat me in that mock draft. Again, guys, go subscribe to the channel, youtube.com forward slash fantasy pros. We are going to be giving away premium upgrades and swag inside the chat. So I hope to see you guys there. Make sure you subscribe and get notifications when we go live. And I want to say thank you again to our our guest, Jim Sanis. It's obviously a busy time of the year. I look forward to getting Bobby back tomorrow to talk about more shenanigans. Maybe we'll argue again. Who knows? But again, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL to be to be notified basically when I post any new article in the future. Follow Bobby at Bobby Fantasy Pro. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. And until next time, lights out. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.